0: You are listening to a message from the Living Word Community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today.
1: Well, actually, Ted, you said, oh, you have a word, and I said, I don't think so. But um, actually, I did have a picture even before we started, and I thought, I thought it was actually just for me, you know? Sometimes it's like, oh, I want to keep this, this nice little picture. So it was of a plant that was being transplanted, and there was this big hole, and the plant was kind of small, but the plant was being put in this big hole. And I was like, hmm, I kind of feel like that's been with me Because um, last fall, I felt like the Lord leading me to substitute teach. And that was just something that I had not, that was not in my plan. But something that we were saying about his grace is enough for me. And I've really found that his grace is enough. And just the different words that the people have brought. uh, Elena was saying that Jesus is in us and wherever we go, we're bringing Jesus, and I'm just finding, you know, interesting opportunities to just be there to Jesus, some of the teachers, and some of the kids, and I think many of you are in that same place that God is putting you in a bigger hole to really expand your influence of being Jesus, so just really step into that, and know that, he dug the hole. You didn't dig it, and he's putting you in that hole, and he's providing the good soil around you, the water and the sun, and he's going to cause you to thrive. So really just step out in faith where God's sending you. And I think someone else was giving word. Who does God want you to be Jesus to? Gretchen was talking about. Who, who, who is God calling you to, to be Jesus to and to be minister, ministering to them? But um, I have to say, I've been bugging Ed for the last couple of months because he is getting amazing insights into the Psalms. And I feel like, again, I feel like, oh, it's just a wonderful treasure that I've been really enjoying. So I'm I'm excited that he's going to be sharing with you today.
0: Uh, It's good to be back together with all of you. We feel most at home here. We come down here all the time, worship and touching the Lord together. Um, Yeah, Bonded our hearts together with you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us over the years, and we are just delighted to be together with you today. I'd like to open with Psalm 37. If you could open to Psalm 37. As Joan mentioned that been uh, translating psalms from Hebrew into Berber, the language that we've been speaking many, many, many years, and had the opportunity to, uh, to translate the word of God so that Berbers could understand better for the first time, the believers in where we used to live, among them for 31 years. We were hindered for many years because of the lack of the Psalms, lack of the ability to even claim the word of God. We had it in Arabic and language that they didn't speak or really understand well, and fell to me the opportunity, now living in exile here in the United States for the past five years, the Lord has opened up an amazing door for me to, to translate the Psalms and really have been benefiting from them for myself. When we first went to the field in 1985, I was an impatient young man. And now, I'm an impatient old man. Um, I can't wait to get back, at least for an extended visit to North Africa, because part of the translation process is checking with native speakers on the field. And I can't really do that through Zoom. We enjoy, you know, getting together for prayer, and and during this time of the Corona situation, with all the restrictions that we've been able to make the best of it. But we don't have a secure connection. And besides, too, that we've learned for so many years, when the culture of the the Berbers is that it's important to be face to face with them, Uh, and. really get the input from them uh, to check the Psalms to make sure that the first draft of the Psalms that I've been translating, I'm up to Psalm 68 now, um, and making a tremendous amount of progress. It's one of the greatest adventures of my life. But unless I check with the native speakers, no matter how long I've been speaking the language and considered to be one of the experts in it, is that I still don't have the sense of nuance that Berbers would have, and so I really need that. So I've been an impatient old man trying to get back. And and not only am I translating the psalms for the Berbers, but I'm translating and I'm finding that God is feeding me. He's feeding me, keeping me sane, <laughs> through the past couple of years um, in the restraints and not being able to get back. And I want to share some of these insights with you from Psalm 37, Psalm 37, one of the um, stages we go through in the translation process and I've been having, I've been blessed beyond belief with all the resources that have been made available to me. I've been kindly asking to the circle of translators with Wycliffe and with uh, SIL and uh, I'm learning so much from people who are really, really good at this. Um, and so that I, uh, it keeps me humble, keeps me excited. Um, and one of the stages in the process of translating is going directly from the Hebrew language, which kind of rusty on from you know, Westminster Seminary many years ago and taking poetic analysis in Hebrew at that time, but that was in, 1980, Um, so this this has been a steep learning curve for me to get back into it, but I have this wonderful resource of the different people that have really taken me under their wing, and I'm learning a lot from them. Um, And one of the stages in the process of the translation is doing a back translation. After you go from Hebrew into Berber, then I translate it from Berber back into English to see if, does this make sense? Sometimes I'll be uh, deep into a passage. I'll come back to it the next day and say, who translated this? Because it makes no sense or whatever. So it's a good thing to keep revising and to keep trying to press ahead. uh, And I come across amazing insights into it that have brought me deep into worship, deep into a connection with the Father. And I want to read... Uh, from Psalm 37, the back translation actually, of how the Hebrew reads, uh, and to in a Berber context, so that the uh, any back translation into English is going to sound a little funny. It doesn't sound like the normal English that you would speak. It sounds a little bit more like well, when Yoda speaks to Luke. You know, uh, this is a, a translation. This is. You know? So I are going to give um, a, a, a reading of this, the Psalm of David, verse 1, in the back translation. Now, read, read along with me and check to make sure that I haven't made any mistakes. Or, or Sometimes I'm having to do some things with the Hebrew and with the Berbers to, to make it understandable to them, so it, it'll give it a little twist. Do not get upset because of those doing evil. Do not envy those doing bad, because suddenly they are cut like grass, wilted like tares. Lean on the Lord, do good. Remain there in the land in security. If you draw sweetnesses from the Lord, he will give you whatever the heart wants. Allow the Lord to precede you on the way. Believe in Him. He will complete whatever He began. Just as the early light appears, He will cause your righteousness to appear. He will then cause your truth to appear like the daytime. Be silent before the Lord. Wait for Him with patience. Do not get upset if someone succeeds in what he does, even though he overcomes all by deception. Do not let wrath overcome you. Push aside anger. Don't get mad or do evil at all. For those who do evil, they, they will be destroyed. As for those who wait for the Lord, the land will be theirs. Wait for a moment, suddenly, The one doing evil is no more. Look well at his place. Behold, he is no longer there. As for the humble, the land will be theirs. They will rest in abundant peace. That's Act 1, Psalm 37. Most translators' notes say that this psalm doesn't really have very much of an outline. And pretty much they're right. But it's been forcing me, as I've been called to a film project, to film the Psalms, not only just for Berbers, but also when we film the Psalms, all 150 of them, to make it available to any language translation of Psalms in the world. And as I've been envisioning Psalms, and writing screenplay for them and developing some musical ideas for the way that the sounds should go in the background. It's giving me a new perspective on the Psalms. Now, some of the Psalms, the script is already written for you. It tells you right in the very beginning. David is fleeing from Absalom for his life. And so that it gives you a context and gives you something to work with. Another one where David is fleeing from Saul for his life again. The da- David is the ultimate conspiracy theorist. He always has enemies on his tail. Those are psalms that have some direction. So when I'm envisioning writing a film script for it that it's a little bit easier to have a start, but how about this one? Psalm 37 is not really so much of a psalm as it is a proverb. It's a series of proverbs. It's one of the few psalms that are proverbs. Most of the psalms are psalms, uh, they are songs of praise to God, they're addressed to God, they're 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 encouraging our prayers. David is crying out to God personally from his depth. Of his heart, because he's in trouble, because he's elated, because he's dancing like a nut in the front of the tabernacle, and he's just overwhelmed with joy. But this one is a proverb. It's actually an acrostic poem. If you're familiar at all with poetry, uh, that an the, the acrostic poem is a, song, is a poem that each line begins with the same letter of the alphabet. So that... If the first verse here, do not get upset because of those doing evil, that has an alif in, um, in Hebrew, then or A, then the next verse starts with B, and so you have then all the way through. This shows some real artistry on the part of David, and I was wondering, Lord, how am I going to film this and it come to me? This is a proverb the, of, that I'm envisioning, I'm going to do this, is, a, is David is an old man. It tells us later on uh, in the Psalm that this is the case because he says, I was young and now I am old. And so we get an indication from there that Solomon, is in his later years, who's he speaking to? If it's a proverb, he's not saying to my son because much, many of the proverbs that we know are addressed of a father speaking to a son. But here I'm envisioning that David, an old man, on his bed, he's got time to write and revise and work out an acrostic poem under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit after many, many years of experience that he is taking Solomon, sitting his teen son Solomon, who is at his bedside, that Solomon is listening to his father, speak words of wisdom to him. I'm envisioning Solomon coming in. he's the prince, a crown prince even though he's fourth in line and later on you're going to find out too when you read in the Old Testament that there is contention for the throne after when David dies just before David dies there's a there's a crisis. is Solomon going to assume the, assume the throne or not? And as I began to look at this psalm, this proverb, it's a proverb sanity because Solomon is going to face, as a king, enraging situations that he can't fix. He's going to become angry at injustices that he can't fix. He's going to be enraged at enemies that he cannot take revenge on or deal with. David has learned this over the terrible and wonderful experiences that he's had in his life, and he's learned something from God that he wants to impart to his son Solomon because he's training a king. When you read this Psalm 37, when I'm reading this and living in this almost as a virtual reality, These are not just words of wisdom. For me, just to be able to cope and to survive and to stay sane in an insane world of injustices and things that I can't control. God is doing something more than just survival. He wants me to thrive. He's training me to be royalty, to be his representative. And he's training you to be... As his royal priesthood, his holy nation, a people set apart. To be a witness is to internalize this wisdom from Psalm 37. Don't get upset with those doing evil. Verse 1. Now, most of your translations, you have an English translation, is what? Fret not yourself. Um, fret is an old word. Um, it now has the meaning of don't be anxious and don't freak out, um, don't worry. Um, that, the original one in, in King James when it was first um, translated is basically don't let this eat you up. Fret it was to eat up. Don't let this, don't let evildoers eat you up. The Hebrew there actually is har, it's hot. Don't get hot. Now, I don't translate it that way, I translate it, don't get upset, because any trying to translate something into Berber, the, the, talk about hot, uh, has usually some type of uh, sexual innuendo that I want to avoid. It's good to have some insider knowledge on that. But it reminds me actually of the West Side Story. In our household, we love musicals. Anybody, I'm not sure if anybody was at our wedding besides my brother-in-law, Dan. And uh, we sang a, a song to, Joan and I sang a song to each other from West Side Story in, in the wedding. But this one is, that came to mind, reminds me of when, when the gang leader is killed. One of the gang leaders is killed in West Side Story. And one of the younger guys in the gang is really upset, and he's flipping out. The heir apparent to the gang, the older, wiser guy, sits him down, says, calm down. And he... spaced out there a little bit. So the young, the older gang member tells the younger gang member, don't get hot, because man, you've got some high times ahead. Take it slow, daddy, yo you can live it up and die in bed. Don't get hot, because man, you've got some high times ahead. It's very easy to have a flash of anger when Presented with a situation in which you're really out of control, injustices that you've seen, and you really want to do something about it. But the exhortation is don't get hot, don't calm down, take your time. Verse 7. Continues this, be silent before the Lord and wait for him with patience. Do not get upset if one succeeds in what he does, even though he overcomes all by deception. That's what I want to leave with you today is to wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. God will come through. The whole of this four-act proverb has to do with waiting upon the Lord. There's four major characters to this. There are the wicked, the righteous, the commands, and then God who acts. There's four aspects that come over and over in this song cycle within this proverb. The wicked, righteous, commands that are given, and God who acts. This can be a hard psalm for many of us as modern people to digest. First off, the idea that there's such a thing as wicked are really there the wicked? A lot of people kind of try to deny it. I was reading a, a theologian who was quoted saying, well, Jesus was calm, always was kind to people. Other theologians said, yeah, well, how'd that get him crucified? There are wicked people. It's hard for us to imagine sometimes that other people can be so mean and rotten when we wouldn't be that ourselves. We have to come to terms with the biblical worldview that there are the wicked. Also that there is such a thing as the righteous. I'm not talking about the self-righteous. I'm talking about the righteous. Righteous see, in Hebrew is the idea of people with good hearts. Those who have an inclination to do what's right and have a heart for it. They might not be able to do it all the time and consistently. You can't. I can't. But their inclination is to have a good heart, whereas the wicked have an inclination of a heart to do things that are rotten, mean, and against God. There's commands that are given here. What are some of the commands here? Verse 3, lean on the Lord, do good, remain there in the land in security. Verse 5, allow the Lord to precede you on the way. Believe in him and he will complete Be silent before the Lord. Don't get upset. Wait for him with patience. Don't let wrath overcome you. Push aside anger. Don't get mad. Those are commands. As modern people, we don't like to be told what to do. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. I'm going to figure it out myself. And then we've got God acting major theme that runs through the entire proverb, the entire psalm here, Psalm 37, is that God will act. If we wait upon him, God will act. The little voice speaks in the back of my head. Act? Are you kidding me? See what that guy got away with? Did you read that headline? Wicked people. Getting away with stuff. Why don't you act, God? And who are the wicked after all? We have very, very different lists, you and me. Different political persuasions. See, wicked and righteous in two different columns. and Two different types. The same leader could be, oh, they're wicked. Oh, no, they're righteous. They're good. Is there, a, what is God's geopolitics? How does he discern and see good and evil and the way that world events transpire? I have a conversation with Dave on the phone earlier in the week. You know. God's geopolitics in Habakkuk. Habakkuk sees injustices, he's upset, he's angry, he's taking it to God. And he says it in pretty strong words, too. Habakkuk's psalm, it's actually a psalm of Habakkuk. It's arranged in poetic form. God, you see all these wicked things and you're not doing anything. God responds to him, yo, yeah, I am going to do something about it. I'm sending Babylonians come down and kick you guys. Habakkuk is astonished. Wait a minute, but they're worse than we are. Now, how are you going to let this get away with? And then God says, calm down, because I'm going to send Persians after that to wipe them out. So uh, just wait. Habakkuk says, okay, God, suffering, deprivation may be coming, but I'm going to trust in you. You're going to cause me to survive and to thrive. I'm going to rejoice in you, my God, my Savior. What is God's geopolitics? We pray the best that we can. We're led by the Holy Spirit as much as we can to pray, God, bring down the wicked. When he will do that? Well, it says soon in this psalm. Soon. But when is God's soon? Soon. One of the little f- funny cultural things that Joan and I had to learn when we were in North Africa is sitting in a restaurant and waiting. Waiting for the dish to come, and you ask the waiter, When's it going to come?
2: He says, Druk, soon.
0: <laughs> that can mean any time at all. But we know. God who is in control, God who loves, God who cares, God who sees, which is spoken over and over in this psalm. And as you read this psalm in the coming week, you'll notice how many times God leans into the details. He knows what's going on, and he assures us he will act. Even when things look like evil looks like it's entrenched, I'm going to read a little section in the, the about evil, entrenched let me go over here verse 35 of Psalm 37. Someone read it from their own translation, Psalm 35. In a little while he passed, though. behold, he did not remain there. This is one of the great joys I have of discovery. Now most in, in, a, in a translator's handbook that I have that everybody uses, the United Bible Society's handbook, is that, and, and in the ESV it says the meaning the, the identity of this tree is unknown. Maybe you have a note like that sometimes the Translators are honest, and they say the meaning of the Hebrew is uncertain. And I was puzzling them. How am I going to translate this? I translated it as, I saw one doing evil. He was strong. He had mercy on no one. He grew like a green tuya tree the hebrew there is really strange because the hebrew word there is i saw I, it was uh, a naked greening growing now the translations you have there are spreading laurel tree so how can something be naked and sp- so i realized that the hebrew root is almost identical to the Arabic name of a tree that grows in our area. It's the Arar tree. The Berbers know it as Azuka. Our kids know it as the Christmas tree. That's our Christmas tree. I suddenly realized what what the tree's identity was because the Arar is the Arar, in um arabic and in hebrew it means to be naked but it's the it's not the it's not a descriptor it's not an an adjective it's the actual it's the place where that tree grows it grows in a dry desiccated semi-arid place just where the the christmas tree that we would go and get every year from a valley leading up to a Berber village that we went to visit, we found this valley filled with these small cypress trees that looked like Christmas trees. And so we went out, and every year, we would cut down a small section of a tree and bring it home and decorate it in our house. It's known as tuya wood. It's... tetracleanus in Latin, um, and it only grows in sections of North Africa and in the Middle East. It's called tuya wood because it's a Greek word, it means sacrifice. It's because the paneling of the temple in Jerusalem was paneled with this aromatic cedar. An aromatic cedar that was cut from the root of this Christmas tree. And this is it. It's really, really hard. Now, I'm a tree hugger and ecology guy from a long time ago. And so that I would never cut down anything in the wild that wouldn't grow back. But this particular type of tree, shaped like a Christmas tree with these needles, and it grows among fossils and cacti in this Arroyo, they call it arroyo in, uh, in Spanish. See, the a uh, uh, arroyo is a uh, where it's along a stream bed that is dry most of the year, except for uh, rain that comes in the rainy season to bring rain to this particular tree to allow it to grow. But this tree, this tree, this Christmas tree that we have, this tuya tree is a unique type of tree because it can do copsing with it. That means you can cut it off, cut off a section of it, and it'll grow back. Not very many trees do that, but this one does. So every year, we go back and we would see, oh, last year's tree where we cut, it was already growing back. Four years later, it was back up to its six foot height again. Grows slowly, but it was great. The Tuya tree, now we did it in a sustainable way. It's not sustainable the way that uh, the Berber uh, um, craftsmen dig out this root. Now where am I going with all this? Why am I telling you about this besides, you know, Ed is nerdy and he does this type of stuff with language. Is This wood is really, really hard. The roots of this Tuya tree Christmas tree, are almost impossible to pull out of the ground. God says, uh, in, well, David tells his son Solomon, here are the beginning of what I call Act 4, it's a story that he tells Solomon about this tree. He grew this evil person was merciless and strong. It looked like he was entrenched. But then I went back and he was gone. Throughout the Middle East, dictators fall. Everything in the society had their name emblazoned on it, their statue on the stamps, on the money. They dominated all of life. And it looked like they were reigning for 40 45 years, and it didn't look like there would ever, ever be any change. The same oppression, year after year, totalitarian rule, and the people we groan. But, David tells Solomon, One day, I went back, and it was gone. Pulled up by the roots. The Lord pulls up by the roots those who are wicked. Why are we told not to get angry and flip out and wrath, take things into our own hands? We have to have hope that God, who loves justice, as it tells us in this psalm, God who loves justice will come through one day. Very few times in the scripture does it ever say that God laughs. I believe God is a humorous God. It's, I just laugh with joy, but the laughter that He has here is a laughter of derision. He knows, God sees, and God knows and has foreseen that the wicked will be uprooted one day. That there will be, and the words and uh, the part that we read, the verse eleven, as for the humble. The land will be theirs, taken away from them, rights taken away from them, means of living taken away from them, but the land will be restored to them, and they will rest in abundant shalom, abundant shalom, abundant peace, now biblical peace is not the same thing as, well, peace that's talked about in most circles in modern times. Peace is normally thought of you know, play nice children. When the children it's really nice when your grandchildren are at peace. They're playing nicely with each other and they're not hitting each other. <laughs> and it's nice when they stop fighting. God's shalom, though, the peace that he brings, this abundant peace, is a shalom of making things right again. Making things the way that they ought to be. The, making the creation and restoring it to the place where God originally intended and purposed for it to be. It's back to normal. It's back to the way God intended it to be. Shalom. And so if you're upset, when I get upset with the craziness of the world, things just don't make any sense to me whatsoever, that I look to God and I ask him, Lord, help me not to get upset, help me not to get hot. Bring again to me awareness that you are going to make things right. That you will accomplish your purpose yet. Perhaps in your own experience, you've seen God do this in real time in your own life. For times that you sick for a very long time, and then God brought healing, brought shalom. A time when felt really alienated from everyone in your family and you didn't do anything wrong. And then there's reconciliation. There's shalom because God did it. You couldn't do it yourself. You can't take up arms. You can't take up an argument. You can't take up an attitude to change people. I can't even change myself. It has to be the Lord who changes me as I wait upon him. So I'm telling my own soul, wait for the Lord. In verse four, in King James, or, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Berber the way that that's it's the it comes out best is if you draw sweetnesses from the lord that that delight when you uh, enjoy abundant shalom as it says in verse eleven it's that sense of delight that sense of at oneness with what God has intended it's a wonderful thing it, it's like it's like when you write... you you're rushing down to the shore in your car. You're fighting your way down the Atlantic City Expressway. You get to the beach. You set up your chair. There's been difficulties getting there, bumper-to-bumper traffic. But then you're on the beach, and then you're, ah. Oh. That's actually the way that the Hebrew reads, is that this and you shall have... Shalom, is that you know, a joy, abundant peace, this ah sense, and it's going to come. You may be in real world difficulties right now. When we trust in the Lord and do good and dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, delight ourselves in the Lord, when we commit our way to God, when we trust in God, when we are still, when we refrain from wrath, Solomon is told by his old father, David, we're following actually what Jesus did himself. He He trusted in God. Let him deliver him. Let him deliver him. If he delights in him. Ah, the people around the cross, even who was detractors of Jesus, said, yes, Jesus trusted in the Lord. He delights in the Lord. And so that when we do these, be, even though the psalms are in the Old Testament, technically, they're very much New Testament. They're very much Jesus. Follow with this, the commands of this psalm. You're following in just what Jesus says to do. We're told also in the New Testament, and I'll close with this, to when you get together, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing a new song to the Lord. Maybe you're familiar with this old uh, tune to, uh, from verse 4. If you know it, sing it along with
2: me. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you The desires of your heart. We're told
0: to sing a new song to the Lord. And even though we can be stirred up inside, when we sing to the Lord, He calms us down. He gives us shalom. The second verse I've just written from verse 7, an
2: adaptation Is wait, wait for the Lord, wait, wait for the Lord and he will act and all will be restored. Wait, wait for the Lord, wait, wait for the Lord, and he will act, and all will be restored. Shalom.